Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. In the 80s, hair metal was dominating the radio, but only one band had the guts to dress like bumblebees and toss Bibles into the crowd, the Christian rockers Striper. This week, we're joined by director Chris White and musician Daniel Smith to talk about how we honestly feel about the yellow and black attack and discuss their new movie, Electric Jesus. Chris and Daniel, you're joining us today to talk about Striper. But before we get into Striper, I feel like it's very fitting that we're talking about Striper today because Matt and I both have seen Electric Jesus, Chris being the director and Daniel being the music director of the movie. And wow, after I watched the movie, I'm like, well, we we couldn't be talking about a more perfect band. I don't even know. As far as the song selection, I guess we picked this song. Was this Striper's biggest song? I was a little unclear on that. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it's their biggest hit. I know it was a big MTV video hit. I've even talked to Michael Sweet, who is the front man and founder and head songwriter for Striper. And he said that when this song came out and charted on MTV, like the band had arrived. It was like this huge moment for them. I think what it comes down to is as far as charts are concerned, yes, this was absolutely their biggest hit. 
I think that retrospectively, 30, 40 years after it's come out, I definitely know like kids of my generation of the 90s really clung to to Hell with the Devil. I felt like there was yeah. a lot of bands a decade after the album came out were really making that the big song. I think it was even included when I was looking through like the history of the band. Uh, at one point, Rhino Record put out an album called The Heavy Metal Box. And it was a box of the greatest heavy metal songs of all time. And it had Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Metallica, Twisted Sitter, Poison, and Stripers to Hell with the Devil on there. Cool. You know, my impression from watching Electric Jesus was that, was it both of you, Chris and Daniel, who listened to Striper as kids or, or teenagers or were influenced by them? What is your background with Striper? So I can tell you this, when we started working on the movie, and again, I, I wrote the screenplay and directed the movie. And in writing the screenplay, wrote lyrics to songs. And then, of course, Daniel comes along and, and creates music to go with those to go with those words. Daniel's background, and, and he can speak to this in more detail, he, he was more into like um, the, the not Christian hair metal hard rock of that time. I was definitely a striper kid. I was definitely into the Christian uh, rock part of it. But Daniel was listening to other bands that everybody else was listening to a lot more than I was. Is that fair to say, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember listening to Striper alongside of Def Leppard and Rat and Quiet Riot. And but I was I was twelve years old. I was a child. You know, you can't you can't blame me for that. <laughs> but it was. But I remember the, um, it was probably the first Striper record. I remember listening to that with a bunch of kids who, and none of them were Christian kids. And I think one of them actually showed it to me, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, because the band was overtly Christian. Like the lyrics are very in your face, uh, God and Jesus lyrics for sure. And I remember that being from my friend who showed that record to me. He's like, well, these guys throw Bibles out, and, which is lame, which is lame, but they, they, they rock pretty hard. So, you know, they, get, they got a pass from... You know, just meet kids who are listening to all kinds of metal. So that, that's impressive. Right. Hey, I recently have learned a lot about Striper. And that's because, strangely enough, a couple of friends of mine run a company that helps people with their Kickstarters to help crowdfund projects. And they are helping Striper with their current Kickstarter project because they're working on a documentary. I yeah, yeah. They're doing a the definitive Striper story documentary. I don't know a lot about it, but I do know that they, yeah, they just launched a Kickstarter. Right. So they're, they're man, they've been touring and recording pretty much, you know, ever since the 80s. I think there was a minute there where they were quote unquote broken up, but they got back together and, you know, they they had a brand new record last year. I think that's when... And it was called Goddamn Evil. Yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, they missed most of the '90s, but they came back. And I think what's great about the Striper story in general, to me, is like as a kid who pretty much grew up on on '90s Christian music, then kind of had what uh, I think a lot of people who grew up in that world very young. You start to like second guess and question and and figure out where your thought process falls. And I feel like the Striper story has so many moments in it that highlight the problem I had with Christianity a lot of the time, which is like the lack of sense of humor and the lack yeah. of like yeah. letting them do their thing where it was like, 
they boycotted the band because they played with Bon Jovi. They yeah. like got all upset for an album called Goddamn Evil. I think most recently there was a big controversy because they put out a T-shirt that I love that uh-huh. says "Kicking the Devil's Ass Since 1983." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, That's yeah. such a good shirt. That's an amazing shirt. But like you yeah. go in the comments and it's like I could have done without the swearing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. They 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 do have a sense of humor. I, I, I really think I really think so. Yeah, I think Michael Sweet is a bit of a. Uh, not even a bit of, he, he is a provocateur. Like he is pushing buttons. He's aware he's doing, you know, you, you can't call your, your record, you know, that even to hell with the devil. He knows that's going to be controversial. And I think he even, you know, in social media, he, he will push controversy and set people off a little bit just to, just to make it fun, you know, for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, to tie this into yeah. electric Jesus a little bit, because Matt and I both watched the movie coming from two different perspectives. Matt, he brought up the fact that, yeah, he did come up, I think kind of like you did, Chris, or at least the impression I get from, I listened to your your episode of Geekscape and read some stuff about the movie, and it kind of sounds like you and Matt had a similar upbringing where you listened to this Christian music and you, you had that background of like, you were listening to the Christian version of popular yeah. bands and whatever. Yeah. yeah. I watched the movie coming from completely secular background. Like I knew nothing <laughs> about religion growing up. So I watched it. And even though I know of, that this world existed of uh, these characters, I'm watching them and I'm, I'm a little bit confused almost like you're, you're young people. Why are you and, and I think you touched on this a little bit, and I'm not going to give away yeah. any spoilers, but you do see these moments of the characters are now kissing girls in the RV and things like that. So yeah, yeah, there, yeah. there wasn't this complete separation of being an actual teenager from being a Christian, whereas the main, the main character, you see him really, mm-hmm. really holding on to that. And yeah. I, I can't, yeah. from my personal experience, relate to that as much, but I think that Matt maybe could. And Chris, you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, sure. I, I had a great conversation with the actor Judd Nelson, who's in the movie. Right. He plays a preacher in the movie. And I was just telling him, I was kind of trying to explain me and my church friends back in the day and what that was like. And I was just saying, like, we loved The Breakfast Club. Like, we, we saw The Breakfast Club. We loved it. We loved you in The Breakfast Club. But we could not do anything that Bender did. Like, right. like <laughs> you were a very sinful guy and we could not behave like you. And he was like, he thought it was kind of funny. And he was like, yeah, but you know, you, you were still like drinking and having sex, weren't you? And I was like, no, no, we we're trying not to do those things. We were, we were trying not to drink and, and get drunk and have sex. That was a different coming of age for us than that. And he just, he found that a hilarious and baffling, right. you know, <laughs> and I think that's what you're saying, but it, it was true. We were trying to obey. We were trying to do what the Bible would have us do or what we were taught the Bible wanted us to do, wanted us to live like. And so that meant, you know, sin avoidance. I think the time period is huge, too. Um, Mm. Obviously, Mm. I think there's about a decade gap between the two of us from the eras that we were growing up in. But I think that there was a lot of similarity at that time where, like, currently now I work at a church. I help do their live stream events and I work with their youth group. But one of the reasons that I came into doing the youth group stuff was because as much as I loved my time with the youth group and I loved my time with the church... I thought that looking back on it, there was this element of like, 
I really cut myself off from people that would have been amazing friends to have had going yeah. through high school that yeah. I didn't connect with until afterwards. Here's the like fucked up Matt Kelly story for this episode, basically. <laughs> like growing up as a kid, you know, you're watching a movie like American Pie or you're watching these films where it's about losing your virginity and it's almost this like you lose your virginity and you're so excited to tell your friends. And yeah. I remember when I lost my virginity, I called my youth pastor to ask him what I should do <laughs> about <laughs> it. Like that's, that's so weird. That's like a scene from Electric Jesus, just yeah. not alone. I mean, <laughs> like I was just like, <laughs> wow. and I was like, my God. But I was like, I don't ever want to put another kid through a situation like that where like yeah. they just feel like, oh my God, I've destroyed every good thing that I've done for the last 15 years of my life yeah. in one night. Like, And I can tell from at least through the youth group work that I've been doing and from what I've seen, it's definitely not as over the top as it was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. But man, watching this, I was like, I know exactly what he's talking about, where he's like, it's for it's for spreading the word of God. Like, we're doing this for Jesus. We're going to make Jesus famous. <laughs> yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to ask you guys, it seems like we're, we're going to talk about Striper more, but but I, I wanted to talk to you about your process. You mentioned this. The songs in this are amazing. So you're saying that, Chris, you came up with concept and lyrics and and and, you know, collaborated with Daniel. I assume that Striper was the number one influence on what you're going for with the songs like uh, what's what is the song called Going Commando for Jesus or that? <laughs> it's called uh, Commando for Christ. Yeah, that Commando for Christ. Incredible. <laughs> By the I, way, <laughs> I, I think, and Daniel, why don't you speak to this? Because it, it wasn't Striper. We weren't trying to make, there were other maybe inspiration and guides for the songs. I think the lyrics were were simply devout 15-year-old boy who, who likes Striper <laughs> and likes hair metal. And that's where the, and but doesn't, is pretty shaky on theology. And, you know, like it's, it's a, it's, they're pretty half-baked, I guess, the ideas in the, in the songs. But where, where did we go, Daniel? Where did we start with the with the music? Well, it, it followed those lyrics. You know, I mean, you, I, I do think I imagine the the commando concept. You know, because we talk about this, uh, trying to get inside the head of these kids writing these songs, right? And that's where this came from. So these kids, I'm sure the the, the commando idea came from their love for Striper, right? Yeah. This kind of mili- military Armageddon imagery musically i just went back to what i was listening to when i was 12 and my favorite band was def leppard and that album pyromania yeah was huge it was massive and i went back and listened to that and among uh probably another 100 metal bands of the time but really kind of deconstructing what what some of those def leppard songs were doing and they're super melodic and my friend john who i brought in mm-hmm. old childhood friend uh he plays all the electric guitars he's been a metal kid you know, I left metal when I was 13 and he stayed with metal until now. So I called him up when, when Chris and I started getting serious about this and asked John if he still plays guitar. He says, yes, every day. And I said, boy, do I have a job for you? So, so John nailed all the, all the, the guitar squeals and the dive bombs and the electric guitar solos and all that. So, he, so we had that ingredient of that sound of the electric guitar, which was crucial for the sound. And he taught me that Def Leppard had two guitar players, which I knew. But what was cool about them is they would play parts to create chords that one guitar can't make, right? So we did that, commando for sure. So just kind of getting into the, just the kind of like science behind hair metal, right. if you will. Right. But also, and, and you'll hear this in the songs, we wanted the songs to be good. We didn't think it would be, it wouldn't be funny if they were just terrible songs. It, they would be tedious, right? Mm-hmm. 
So the trick of the songs in the movie is that the songs are actually good. They're earworms that you can't stop singing, you know, after you see the film. And, And with that, that's leaning on Daniel's songcraft just as a songwriter and just saying at the heart, what's inside this thing that's dressed up like a big hair metal song is a great melody. Is, is great construction, just great songwriting. So if we could, if we stripped the songs all the way down, they would still be, you, you would hear that, oh my gosh, that's just a great melody. That's an incredible chorus, you know, like, so that's part of the trick of the songs too, is leaning on Daniel's ear and his song craft. We could get away with that because these kids were sincere. Like they, even though the lyrics are over the top and ridiculous, they really meant them. They weren't laughing, right. you know? Yeah. So they're also, they're also not laughing when they're coming up with these melodies. They're really trying and- wouldn't it be great if they kind of stumbled over some cool stuff? And I, and I think that's how it turned out. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I have to give a shout out as, as a fan of Daniel's music before this, this movie, like I did not know what to expect. Like growing up on the music of, of Daniel when he was doing Danielson and all of his producing work with stuff like Sufjan Stevens and me without you, like, I always think of Daniel as like kind of this weird Frank Zappa, Daniel Johnston of folk music. So like when I'm told he's going to be writing a bunch of hair metal anthems, I had no clue how good it was actually going to be. I was like, this is going to be good. I was still not prepared for how good these songs ended up. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was floored. Yeah. (laughs) I I missed my calling. I should have been a metalhead. (laughs) Hey, it's funny. And I, I picked up on this in the movie. I can't say enough nice things about the movie. If you're, if you're listening to this real quick, when, can people see this? We had advanced screeners, but when and how? The film is on all streaming digital platforms on November 2nd. Nice. It's like in the new release category on November 2nd. So you you would uh, be able to buy or rent the film. And there's also DVDs and Blu-rays you can buy, hard media as well. So we, we come out and that's in the United States, Canada, and the UK. Our release date is November 2nd. And then it'll come to other countries. There's a release schedule just every couple of weeks or months, you know, other people get the movie, but our release date is November 2nd. That's awesome. I cannot recommend it enough. It's amazing. And Thank I'm, you. I'm not just saying that because you're our guest. I mean, it really, <laughs> it's an amazing movie. I really think that like once people, once the word of mouth starts spreading about this, I think people are really yeah. going to, there's a lot of, it's hilarious. And also there's a lot of heart behind it. And I, I, can't say enough nice things, but as I'm, as I'm watching this movie and I've thought this so many times before, it's so funny how the eighties hair metal, so much of it, we're calling it metal. Okay. But so much of it is not heavy whatsoever. Like I feel like the Olivia Rodrigo songs of now are heavier than these songs. (laughs) And, and you know, a lot of these fictional songs from the movie are like that, but this song, honestly, that we're talking about from Straper today, this is the least heavy song I've ever I've ever heard yeah. in my fucking life. It's this song is ridiculous. Like that electric yeah. piano at the beginning. This yeah. this is seriously like the easiest song to make fun of. People that were in actual heavy bands at this time, like, wouldn't this have been like the the most? I mean, to hell with the devil. Yeah, kind of rocks, but this song is so weird. I, I don't even know, like, it's it seems like the opposite of metal to me. Someone please explain this song to me, how this falls under a metal category. Okay, so at the moment, this song comes out, this is 86, mm-hmm. I believe, it's on To Hell With The Devil, it's on that record. The bands would have to have at least one or two 
power ballads. Right. It was part of the whole setup. So what you're hearing in Honestly by Striper is you're hearing their their best swing at, you know, a power ballad. The weird thing about Striper is he's doing a thing in the song where you don't know who's talking to you. Is it a boy talking to a girl or is it Jesus talking to you? <laughs> Always. And you got to just, I mean, you can parse it both ways. You can listen to the lyric and say, oh, wow, that's Jesus. Or you can say, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's my future boyfriend. You know? right, right. Either way, it, it, is a, it is a very strange seduction that's happening in the song, isn't it? it? It reminds me of that great South Park episode where the boys from South Park decide to form a Christian rock band yeah. and their solution is to just take love songs yeah. from that day and change you to Jesus. And yeah. then they're like, job's done. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> that's always been the thing with the Christian music. And I remember those tooth and nail bands from the 90s. And that was always the thing. Like you weren't sure, are they? is this a love song? Or is this a song yeah. about Jesus? That was always, that seems to have always been the thing, right? There's an adage with U2 who, you know, the members of U2 are Christians, but they, they say if, if it seems like the song is about sex, it's actually about God. And if it seems like it's about God, it's actually about sex. And you apply that to the U2 catalog and you can sort it all out, apparently. Right. <laughs> I, I, I love striper's yellow and black attack thing for anyone who's listening yeah. and doesn't know about striper they dressed basically like bumblebees which is yes. <laughs> which is another aspect on top of the fact that i believe that the number that they threw out for how many bibles they threw out to the crowd was five hundred thousand bibles were th thrown oh, from sure. the stage to the crowd by these guys dress like bumblebees. I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, you can't help but love this. This is yeah, this is yeah. really awesome. You know who actually so uh you know, it doesn't take much to know me to know that I love wrestling. So I, I have to bring it to wrestling for just a second. Chris Jericho in his autobiography actually said that Striper was still to this day one of his favorite bands, but in his early days of wrestling, yeah. he insisted that all of his gear be black and yellow as a tribute to the band. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'd heard wow. that Jericho uh, was a Striper fan, but I didn't realize that it went so deep. But yeah, it was a, it was a strange expression of faith, of Christian ethics and living. And they, and they came right off the LA Strip. I mean, they were there with Motley Crue and... Poison, and they were they were part of that LA scene. They were just like the Christian take on it, you know. Which doesn't seem like a bad thing when you read the stories of bands like Motley Crue and Poison, and what seems to be the worst people on earth. Like, yeah. when, and and I come, you know, I come from the world of punk rock. I've been around the not greatest people in the world here and there, you know, yeah. but nothing like the stories you read about how awful these people were as human beings. So when you see people like Michael Sweet, who seem to be, whether you agree with the religious aspect or not, seem to be like pretty decent people. It seems to yeah. be an anomaly in that world which is actually a cool thing. Yeah, for sure. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snider and Huey Lewis, 
punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. It's one of those things where it's like the more things change, the more they stay the same. And like you look at the Striper stuff again with like how much of a controversy they were. I know Jimmy Swaggart hated them. Absolutely Mm -hmm. despised this band. Uh, And again, because they would hang out with groups like Motley Crue because they had the audacity to do that. And I can't help but think of, you know, it's not a secret that Five Iron Frenzy is one of my favorite bands. And I produce a podcast for Leonore now of Five Iron Frenzy. And... She's told me a bunch of times, one of my favorite songs by them is a song called All That Is Good. And she said that song was written about her frustration about like being told that she had to only play with other Christian bands. And she was like, but I'm friends with Less Than Jake. I'm friends with mm-hmm. these contemporary bands and I want to like go on tour with them. And like, why are you like, wouldn't you, you would think theoretically as a church, those are the places you'd want them to be playing. Yeah, <laughs> like, I agree. You'd, right. Like, I agree. You'd want Absolutely. them playing for other people besides the people who are already into that stuff. Well, and it's one of the plot points in the movie, Electric Jesus. There there comes a big, you know, the climax of the movie is the band has a shot. They might get, be able to open for Striper on a tour, but they got to they gotta play a real rock club. They got to play a place where there's booze and, you know, ribald behavior, uh, a scary place. And so they have to make that choice. You know, are we going to do this or not? So that that's very true. I think it's a it was a very true um, conflict that a lot of Christian artists would have. It seems ridiculous when you think about it. Just like you're saying, Matt. I mean, you're 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 supposed to be Christians. You should be like out in the world being Christians, not just sequestered with a bunch of other you know like minded church folk. You know, <laughs> right? Well, and I think that what's funny about and again we'll we'll try not to spoil too much. What I think is extra funny about that final set piece to me yeah. anyway is like even if they weren't a Christian hair metal band, mm-hmm. based on the band that's playing before them, mm-hmm. if they were just a regular hair metal band, I don't think it was going to play out. Oh right, right. Do <laughs> right. well, like right. like the Christian things just like an additional hurdle because they're opening for like borderline like a cannibal corpse guar type <laughs> band. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and, that, and that's uh, Daniel Smith, uh, his acting debut. He plays the lead singer of that band. <laughs> oh, really? That's Bloody Mass. Yeah, that's Daniel. That's, that's Mace. Stig Foss. He's that, he's that shirtless brute covered in makeup. That's him. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, had a, I had a leather cod piece with chains hanging off me. I was covered in... <laughs> I was covered in blood, and then they threw dirt on me. It was really weird. <laughs> we were just we were just messing with you with the dirt, Daniel. I said, just throw some dirt on him. 
so well, showbiz kid yeah <laughs> <laughs> so good so hey i know you said you talked to michael sweet has yeah sh- have the guys in striper seen electric genius yeah, yet yeah daniel and i uh, went up with some of our producers to uh it's uh it was plymouth uh, massachusetts which is very close to where michael was living at the time and so we we they couldn't get all the band together because of covid stuff but we sent links to everybody in the band but we were in the room with michael and his wife lisa as they watched the movie and and, and it was nerve-wracking for sure i mean the band is <laughs> yeah. treated very well in the movie yeah. i mean they're just they're gods you know but still to sit in the room with them and you know just kind of like <laughs> I, I i think we were sitting there daniel <laughs> You and me and Emily were kind of sitting just watching, you know, what are they doing? You know, are they are they laughing? Are they liking this? But he was very kind. He was super, super generous. We we went to dinner with them and heard, you know, stories from the road. And, you know, uh, the funny thing to me was the band in our movie, they're just a bunch of kids who aren't going to make it. You know, I, I like rock and roll movies where the band doesn't make it. I think those are better. So that's not a spoiler. I mean, that's just that's the kind of movie this is. But he he was just saying that yeah, Striper's been booed and people throw stuff at the stage. And I'm like, really, man, Striper, you, you guys are, are great. And, he, and, and, and it goes back to him being a bit of a provocateur. He, he likes the war. He likes the battle. You yeah. know, so if the audience is like saying, you know, I hate you, he, it, he gets turned on. He's ready to go. He's like, he rocks harder, he said. So, I, so he, he, w- he would play in, in mainstream venues then, you know, sure. that, which, makes, which makes Striper very different from any of the other Christian bands. Right. Yeah. And that's something I really picked up on in the movie is that, you know, I feel like it would have been easy in a way to really make fun of, you know, what these kids in the movie were doing and the entire scene. But I feel like you really paid homage to it uh, without making fun of it. Yeah, there were there were funny aspects, but I, I felt watching it as a person who didn't grow up with this kind of music like uh, you know, a respect for it, you know, like yeah. there was a real uh, authentic feel to th- that. They really, the kids in this movie mm-hmm. really believed in what they were doing. And it wasn't, this movie wasn't meant to make fun of that. It was just like an honest story about it. It was really, yeah, cool. that's, and, and that's been done before, you know, the, the making fun of religious kids, mm-hmm. it's just, to me, it's just passe. That's not interesting anymore. Right. Or, or it's just maybe it never was interesting. I, I'm more like I like getting on board with the weird people and just and letting them have their day. And and I would say we don't make fun of Christian kids, but we have fun with Christian kids. And I think that's the difference. You know, I've watched this movie with with very devout Christians, uh, Christian musicians even, and they are touched and love it. I, you know, they feel seen. You know, it's like, yeah, that was us. So I, I think that's a that's that's a win for the movie. If I can figure out how to tell you a story about some weirdos in a way that just, you know, is is not necessarily promoting the weirdos, but just is listening to them and is on their side as the story's unfolding, takes them seriously. Yeah, dude, can I well, tell you I, a thing that made me laugh really hard, which I actually believed people definitely had to have said this and that's why you put it in there was the uh-huh. scene where uh what's the lead singer in the band's name michael Ma- yeah it's yeah, called michael yeah michael and and the, the main character in the rv together eric the, yeah eric, eric. Yeah. and they are talking about like hey you getting hungry do you want breakfast and he's reading yeah. his bible what's the line he says like he said i'm feasting on the word this morning <laughs> yeah i'm feasting on <laughs> <And> the his, <laughs> word <laughs> and his buddy busts his balls on that he goes oh you're so good yeah right oh i loved yeah. it i loved it it's yeah. so funny i have a question i want to i want to kind of draw to daniel a little bit because 
you know, we've had Daniel's band was obviously on Tooth and Nail Records. He's not the first Tooth and Nail Record affiliated person that's been on One Hit Thunder. We've had people from Zayao. We've had some people from Juliana Theory, some people from May. And I know that with a lot of them, I, I don't think Danielson, anytime that I've ever seen it, this happened, but I've heard plenty of stories from people who were in that music scene that said that there is this weird divide where you're a Christian and you're in a band, but you see yourself as an artist first and foremost. Like you are out there creating art. You're writing songs that are important to you, but like you're caught up in this weird... I, I heard Conrad from, from Goaty Hook say one time, like the quickest way to lose your faith is to not just be someone sitting in a pew at the church. And like, mm-hmm. and like there was some truth to that where it's like you're seeing the behind the scenes of like, we could play this venue and play with these bands that we really like that aren't Christian, or we could take this huge paycheck to play like this church. That's this mega church, but we mm-hmm. have to do a call to the front of the church for people to like, you know, be born again. And, and like a lot of bands just being like, that was really uncomfortable for me to like have to have to basically be musician and also like a pastor on stage for 15 minutes. Did you ever bump into stuff like that with Danielson? Well, that was definitely an option. I remember I grew up in the culture, so I was fortunate to already have, I was already skeptical of, of, you know, the, the, the Christian music as a scene, especially because it's just another business model. You know, it's just, it's just, it's marketed for Christians. So there's different, there's different rules you got to play by, especially then when all the records were in Christian bookstores and kid, you know, youth group kids were only allowed to shop in those Christian bookstores. So in a, in a sense, it's, it's kind of a built in audience and there's a much better chance that you'll sell records in that scene than if you try to break out at the time, you know, try to break out and and compete with everybody else in the mainstream culture. So, you know, the downside of that, well, there's many downsides, but for sure it's in a bubble, just like anything else, at the time in, in Christian culture was, you know, this kind of let's stick together, let's hide away in our own little culture and wait for Jesus to come back. Meanwhile, we'll, you know, we'll let our kids go to the Christian bookstore and buy records. And it, it was very much this kind of fear-based thinking uh, that also the business side of it, the Christian music market capitalized off that big time. Now for us, I think I already was skeptical. So I, I didn't even want to be on a Christian label at all. It's just tooth and nails, the only label that wrote back. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I remember Brandon calling me. I was living at Jesus People in Chicago at the time, and he, he called. And I must have been on speakerphone. There's a whole group of kids in there. It turns out uh, Damien Gerardo, I think, was there, too. And, and Brandon's like, who are you? What is this? It was the first record I sent him, Prayer for Every Hour. I said, who are you? What is this? What is this music? I said, I don't know. It's, it's, it's my record. Do you like it? It's like, yeah, it's insane. It's insane. It's insane. It's like, oh, good. I, is that a compliment? <laughs> and he said, yeah, yeah, we want, we want to put it out. I said, okay, well, let's, let's put it out as is. And so that was the beginning. And I got to give it to him. He took a chance, but nobody else would. I mean, this is a 70-minute a, a album of all four-track recordings, four, cassette four-track recordings <laughs> that I had made. And that was the record. And I refused to re-record it. That's the record. Do you like it or not? <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, I'm in. Let's do this thing. And I could hear like all the just a bunch of people in the office laughing like I'm the elephant man or something. But it was great, you know, <laughs> so I got to give it to him. And in terms of the, the pressures, uh, our music was just it turned out it was kind of a little of a 
like a landmine <laughs> in the Christian bookstores, which at the time I didn't want to have anything to do with that scene. I, I'm glad it happened. I was able to just kind of get some music in in that world, and at the same time, my main focus was just getting in the local indie rock, you know, record stores, yeah. and 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 be you know written up in Magnet Magazine or whatever. Like that's all I cared about because that's that's what I was listening to. That's what I was reading. So playing clubs was always the goal. You know, we would do these Christian coffee houses and things like that, as well as indie rock clubs. It was easier to get those, the Christian gigs, but, and I was, I was pretty sour on that scene. So I, I probably should have just been a little more gracious um, in, in, in my mind about just kind of like playing wherever we're invited, but I'm glad it worked out the way it did because it kind of, the music just got to go into different really different kind of subcultures that, that were happening at the same time. For sure. And, and I feel, I actually feel a bit for Brandon. Cause like you have to give the guy credit. He, he clearly just signed whatever he wanted to be listening to, which is yeah. not what a lot of other record companies would do with their choices. And I think that at a certain point, the label just became known as a Christian rock label, regardless if the bands on it were like, I don't think there was a single Christian bone in Frodo's, but like, just because they were on Tooth and Nail, you could buy that at a Christian bookstore because they're just like, well, it's Tooth and Nail, so it must be, it must be yeah. that good, good Jesus juice, and like put it on the shelves, and you know, it's like an anti-capitalistic like spaz rock album. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> now, I remember. I remember we were invited to play um, EMI Christian Distribution Office in Nashville. We were supposed to stop over there for like an afternoon performance for the execs at EMI Christian, and they give us a tour around the offices. And there's like a little stage in the corner. And uh, I said, we're, we're not playing here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so we just left. That was the game. You know, it's like it's the Christian version of whatever the mainstream equivalent to. Well, it's, you know, there was EMI and there was EMI Christian. And yeah. <laughs> but I remember being there, walking around and, and, and speaking with some of the salespeople and say, you know, some of these bands are not Christians. You know that, right? It's like, oh, yeah, they're, well, they're a tough sell. To, you know? <laughs> but we, we have our ways of getting them into the stores anyway. It's just uh, it's just gross. Well, uh, so I have a quick trivia question for everybody on the call. I'm, I'm not sure if any of you know this, but so Striper was the second Christian band to get airplay on MTV. Do you know what the first band was? Yes. Rez. Uh, that was not. It wasn't. That was not what Wiki said. It said it was their song six six six. Degarmo and Key. <laughs> oh wow, that's right. Degarmo and Key. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I know that this. You know, Striper. We're, we're talking about this. They were. I mean, when they crossed over, that was that was kind of unheard of at the time, right? That was a big deal that they they were yeah, able to do. Yeah, and that. Amy Grant kind of did the same thing right. in in short order. I mean, right after that is when Amy Grant is really starting to be marketed as a as a secular pop star instead of just a Christian pop star. Right. And if you want to know how big this Striper song got, which I got to be honest, I know uh, I'm very well versed i feel like with 80s music for some reason i didn't really know this song that might just uh -huh. be that might just be on me and it seems like it might be considering this song okay it peaked at number 23 so it didn't go to number one or anything but it was on january 29th 1988 when it peaked at number 23 it was above rick astley's never gonna give you up so oh, wow. wow. salt and peppers push it <laughs> and uh, it wasn't as high as She's Like the Wind. Patrick Swayze, She's Like the Wind yeah. was a couple places higher. <laughs> and the, the number one song at this time was In Excess, Need You Tonight. Some of the other yeah. songs on the charts were Hungry Eyes. Got My Mind Set on You, George Harrison. Yeah. Uh, and The Way You yeah. Make Me Feel by Michael Jackson. So that's kind of 
the musical landscape at that time. Very eclectic, I will say. Yeah. It's impressive they were able to push through. I got to tell you guys, I, I went on to the Honestly music video, which, once again, this is... Uh, it's kind of easy to laugh at. It's like, I think it's Michael Sweet holding up a baby <laughs> early in it. And I, I don't know. It's it's a very cheesy 80s video. But reading the comments on it were pretty great. My favorite being from eight months ago. I mean, this is this this year, eight months ago. Right. Lois Odenthal commented, Daryl, this song says so much. I promise you I'll love you through the good times and the bad times. Just promise me you'll stand by me too. I love you, baby. Which I was like, wow. <laughs> Lois, yeah. Lois is communicating to Daryl through the comments of a Striper video. So I kept, I kept scrolling. And so that was from eight months ago. Then three months ago from the username... Lois Odenthal, Daryl's girl, <laughs> a complete, a completely different name. Lois Odenthal, Daryl's girl, all one name. It says, <laughs> I want this song to go out to my boyfriend, Daryl, because we are going through some tough times right now. And I just want him to know that he has always been my friend, regardless of what the situation is. I love you, Daryl. I really, Aww. I really love that the comments of this striper video are the way that Lois Odenthal is communicating <laughs> with Daryl and letting Daryl know how much <laughs> Lois loves Daryl. I, I, Dude, you know. communicate with your boy, Lois. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. There were some other great comments, like Jessica Wright saying, "This takes me back to my days of way back when I was graduating high school. This was our class song." I went to a church school, so we were allowed to have it. Yeah. <laughs> and Cristobal Guerrera, who noted, I always lose it when this song is on. It's like the Lord is telling us to turn to him in times of need. So, yeah. you know, people yeah. really do love this song. People really do love this band. But before we go, we always have to chime in on whether we believe that that the band brought the one hit thunder or was a one hit blunder. This is one of those questionable ones where was Straper a one hit wonder? I guess they're kind of considered that. Although I don't know if that's actually the case. Um, I think that uh, the three of you are all going to give this a thunder. I would assume. I get what Chris is saying. It's questionable if they were ever a one hit wonder to begin with. I will say this. This song, along with their other uh, music video, Free, was apparently the most requested song on the show Dial MTV. Yeah. That also oh, wow. doesn't feel that shocking to me because I feel like they had that Jim Baker backing at the time, too, where I'm sure if Jim Baker went on his channel and said, all right, kids, you got to call Dial MTV and yeah. get this video to the top that every Christian parent would have handed their credit cards to their kids to let them That's make true. as many phone calls as they could. I'll yeah. go first, I guess, and then we'll okay. let the, the guests really dominate this. If we were talking about Striper to Hell with the Devil, I'd absolutely say that this was thunder all the way. I think that that song is incredible. There's a book uh, called Sound of the Beast, the Complete Headbanger's History of Heavy Metal, and it listed to Hell with the Devil as one of the landmark glam metal moments. But as far as this song is concerned, it is quite the it is a bad song. I'm gonna go ahead and just say that this this is a blunder. But I do really love Striper. So Striper the band, I would say is a thunder. But if we're just talking about this in the song, blunder all the way. <laughs> all right, all right. What do you think, Daniel? I I think um, they should stick with rocking. 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I, I think I think they're they're great at rocking, and um, I think I think they should leave the the pop ballads to uh, Rick Astley. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it, it's not a good song. <laughs> no. yeah. Okay, I, I'm trying I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> I'm gonna say, so again, just to make it interesting, I'm gonna try to make a case for this song. This song being Thunder. We agree that Rocking Striper is Thunder, but yes, can uh, honestly honestly be <laughs> a, a a thunderous success. I'm gonna say it is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it is because it does, it sets out to do a thing and it does that thing really well. It sets out to create very sweet, no pun intended, Michael and Robert, but very sweet feelings and sentiment about an easy, easy sentiment, uh, sweet, easy feelings about your, your significant other or your Lord. You know, it's 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 trying to you know it's letting it be both, but it it try it gives you just a sweet easy feeling, and I think it succeeds for the audience it was intended to, which which are kids. This is not a, this was not an adult contemporary song. This was a kid song, a middle school love song, or maybe a high school love song, and I think it's hampered by those weird uh, synth. Uh, horn sounds or something like it, it, it's hampered by the production. Like if that was, if those were real strings, if those were real horns that you're hearing, uh, the build, the climax it's building to at the end would be way more effective as it is now. Really, you just hear Michael's kind of very high, almost, you know, a, a female kind of voice singing with a lot of drums. Like the drums are just dominate the production of the song um it's michael's voice and, and robert strum so i'm gonna say i'm i know this is a stretch but i'm gonna i'm saying honestly is thunder well i'm glad that one person uh came to this song's that? defense because <laughs> i think this song is terrible <laughs> so I, so I, here, here's a question about that chris okay yeah yeah so we could make an argument that the lyrics were doing all those things but mm. what was the what was the melody doing? That's my that's my issue. Well, I don't Where, I don't know there was a melody. I just think it was it was drums. Where did the melody go? <laughs> it just I don't know. It just it just it it was just like to heaven. It, it was trying to take us. It was just going. It was just saying more more high 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 into the sky into the sky. There 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 is no melody really. I I, I can't hum it. And, right. and even before this interview, I listened to it about six times. So, yeah, I don't think there's much melody there for sure. So we're not looking for melody with this hit. We're looking for uh, no. drums drums, and uh, uh, sentiment. That's what I think they were trying to do, and I think they succeeded. I, I can't stress enough how good Electric Jesus is. And also, before we go, I, I have to say that I think everything is cool and awesome about striper except this song <laughs> I, think, I think everything else about striper is cool as hell and i, I like everything about them except this song is the exception <laughs> i think That's i fair. think there there might be some striper fans that would agree with you in fact the band might agree with you okay, on that. Yeah. I, I don't know that this is their favorite song from their from from their catalog right <laughs>
has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Vithalios of the band's Punchline Pack and Another Cheetah and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing Commando for Christ from the new film Electric Jesus. The movie is streaming now and you should watch it. Punchline is playing Anti-Fest on November 20th at the Roxanne Theater in Pittsburgh. Come and check out the show and say hello to us if you see us there. Do you want to hear your band's song on our show? Or do you have interest in sponsoring an episode? Contact me at matt for our rates. And if you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Chris and I can make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. Tune in next week for another episode of One Hit Thunder. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello out there! Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!